morning again, Oceanside Sanctuary. We are excited to be with you again on this Sunday morning. Today what I'm going to do is something a little bit different than we have been doing for the past several weeks. We just came out of our teaching series on encountering God, where we talked about all the different ways that characters in the Old Testament encounter God and how that reflects all the different ways that we encounter God in our lives too. Next week, I'm going to be getting a new teaching series called Why Church? In other words, why is it that today, amidst all of the incredible tumult and all of the uh, incredible upheaval that's going on in our society, everything from the coronavirus pandemic and the massive impact that that has had on all of our lives, to the election that is severely polarizing the United States, Uh, more deeply than at any time since the last civil war, uh, to other regular changes and shifts that are constantly going on in our 21st century culture with technology that is constantly shifting and changing the ground beneath our feet. Amidst all of that, why would anybody still choose church in their lives, especially when one of those other big cultural upheavals that's happening right now is this revealing of anti-black racism and white supremacy as a very real embedded part, not just of American culture, but deeply embedded in church culture. When all of that reality is going on, why would anybody choose church? And so next week, I'm going to be starting that series called Why Church? Also, I think that series is going to be helpful for us at this time in our church because we are, as many of you know already, we are entering in this fall into a time of discerning our future as a congregation, our vision, our mission, our values, our priorities. We're re-envisioning all of that at this time because we have just come to the end of our three-year cycle for our existing mission, vision, values, and priorities. And so as a church, we're beginning to come together and ask those questions again, listen to each other, pray, uh, study about what it might be that God is calling us to be as we enter into the future for the next three years amidst all of these massive changes. So today what I want to do, after we have wrapped up our previous series and before we enter into our next one, I want to pause for a moment and take a passage from today's lectionary reading. We're a church that a few times a year follows the lectionary, which prescribes certain readings of Scripture at different times of the year according to different seasons. And so typically we follow the lectionary uh, during the holidays and during the Christian holidays that are built into the lectionary calendar. But today I want to just pick out a reading to you from the book of Jonah that I think really bridges the gap nicely between our previous teaching series and our next one. I think it really sets us up to be ready to ask all the questions that we're going to be asking over the next couple of months as we're re-envisioning our future together at the Oceanside Sanctuary. So before we do that, I just want to invite you to jump in with me with a word of prayer. Wherever you are at home, uh, in your bedroom, in your car, in your on your front porch or on your back deck, wherever you might be, Watching with us today, I want to invite you just to calm your heart and center your mind. If it helps for you to close your eyes, close your eyes. Uh, If it helps for you to just lift up your hands as though you are receiving from God, then lift up your hands. If it helps for you to bow your head, then do that. Whatever is helpful for you to calm your heart and center yourself 
as we come before God together and ask God to join us today. God, we thank you for this opportunity for us to come and sit before the ancient words that uh, have reflected your encounters with humanity uh, over the years. We ask that as we open the book of Jonah today, that you would speak to us through the words that are written there, that you would pierce our hearts and prepare our hearts for what you're calling us to do and what you're calling us to be. We ask that whatever's going on in our lives right now, however our lives have been shaken by all of the cultural upheaval that's happening right now, I pray that you would give us today a strong sense that your spirit is at work in the world and that you would give us the eyes and the ears to see and to hear what your spirit is doing so that as a church we might partner with you to bring about the repair of the world, to bring about goodness and peace and righteousness. Let me pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the last time we entered into a period of uh, trying to discern and shift and transition our church, as I said, uh, was about three years ago. Actually, it was a little longer, about four years ago when we began the process. And during that process was a real time of upheaval for our church because we were in the midst of really shifting from a much older, more traditional congregation to a congregation that held its traditions uh, with value and honor, but held them a little bit more loosely and was welcoming different kinds of people into our congregation. And if you've ever been in a church before that's in the midst of that kind of process, you know that sometimes conflicts can erupt whenever there's change going on. I remember one particular conflict at that time uh, between the deacons, because there was a new deacon who joined our church. And at that time, we had a group of formal deacons who, among other things, always set up communion, always made sure that every week communion was set up the way that it was supposed to be set up. And they had these incredibly detailed procedures for doing it. And one Sunday after church, one of the long-standing deacons just lost their temper with one of the new deacons because the new deacon, when they were setting up the communion trays, the brass communion trays that we used to use every Sunday, they had failed to turn the lids on those communion trays just properly so, so that the crosses on the top of those lids faced the congregation. And it was uh, one of those conflicts where the, the long-standing deacon just sort of snapped and lost their temper and, of course, felt terrible about it. But the new deacon, of course, felt crushed and humiliated and embarrassed. And all of that, of course, is, I think, just a really uh, common illustration for how we sometimes in churches or really any kind of uh, traditional organization, how easy it is for us to lose our identity in the culture of that church. And that is exactly what happens when uh, churches or religious organizations or traditional organizations, when they begin to uh, impart so much of their sense of who they are and what they're about into the practices and the procedures and the artifacts of that institution. Those things are all good, of course. Our practices and our habits and the, and the things that we use to symbolize the things that really are meaningful to us, all of those things are good. They're formational. They shape who we are. But as culture changes, those symbols, those artifacts, those, 
those practices often lose cultural resonance. And when they do, these kinds of conflicts arise. This passage that we're reading today is from Jonah chapter 3, verses 10 through 4, verse 11. If you uh, would turn there with me, if you have your Bible, if you don't, we'll put the words up on the screen as usual. But this passage is the story of Jonah, the famous Jonah and the whale Jonah. We're not going to, of course, read through that whole story today, but I want to read that snippet for you that starts in chapter 3, verse 10, because I think this piece is really what the story is about, first and foremost. And secondly, because I think it helps us to see a little bit better how we sometimes lose our identity in the culture that we have wrapped ourselves in. So Jonah chapter 3, starting in verse 10, says this. When God saw what they did, now they in this verse is referring to the Ninevites, right? So when God saw what the Ninevites did, how they turned from their evil ways... God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Now, I want to pause right there and just bring you up to speed. This is that famous story of Jonah and the whale. Of course, Jonah is called by God to go to a foreign city, a city uh, called Nineveh that's full of a group of foreigners who are known by the Jews for being particularly wicked, for being particularly violent and cruel. And so God calls Jonah, this prophet, to go to Nineveh, to sail to Nineveh, and to preach to them that they ought to repent, that they ought to change their violent and wicked and cruel ways and become more kind and righteous. And Jonah, of course, wants nothing whatsoever to do with this. Jonah is a good Jewish prophet. He isn't concerned about the Ninevites at all and does not want to travel all the way to Nineveh. And he doesn't want to do it just so that he can essentially go and tell a group of people that they have to repent when he knows good and well that they're not going to repent. But mostly, I think Jonah just doesn't want to be put out. He just doesn't want to do it, and God is asking him to do something that is terribly inconvenient. So Jonah says no. And of course, Jonah says no, and he decides that it's not enough to say no to God. He's going to jump on a boat, and he's going to go the opposite direction. He's not going to go towards Nineveh. He's going to outsmart God and go in the other direction so that God can't force him to preach to the Ninevites. But of course, you know the story. There's a terrible storm. Uh, The people on the boat freak out. They don't know what's going on. Jonah says, I'm the problem because God's angry with me, and, you know, here's why. And the folks on the boat, they say, sounds good to us, and they throw Jonah overboard as sort of an offering to God to appease God. God causes a big fish to come and swallow Jonah. The fish swallows Jonah, and over the course of three days, swims towards Nineveh, comes up, spits Jonah up on shore, and God says, now what? Right? Well, of course, What happens next is Jonah decides to go ahead and preach to the Ninevites and to tell them God is calling you to turn away from your cruelty, to turn away from your wickedness, to turn away from your violence and repent. And then Jonah decides to go up on a hill and watch as God destroys Nineveh because this is the one pleasure that Jonah is going to get out of this entire ordeal is at least he gets to see God destroy these evil and wicked people. But... The joke is on Jonah, because what we see here in verse 10 is that the Ninevites actually respond to Jonah's preaching. They agree they have been wicked, they have been cruel, they have been violent, and so they repent, they tear their clothes, they throw ashes, ash on their heads, which is sort of their 
ritualistic way of repenting in the ancient Near East, and they decide to become better people. Now, verse 1, chapter 4, picks up Jonah's response to this incredible scene. Verse 1 says this, But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? This is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, verse 4, Is it right for you to be angry? And I love the way that God responds to Jonah here. Jonah is so upset, he's so frustrated that the Ninevites actually repented. He's so angry that their lives have been saved that he decides in his humiliation, in his embarrassment, because his prophecy isn't coming true, he decides it would be better if he was dead. So he asks God to help him to die. And God's response to him is, is it right for you to be angry about this? I mean, is it right for you to be angry that, that this group of people actually decided to repent and are now going to be saved? Let's continue. God says, is it right for you to be angry? Verse 4 and then verse 5. Then Jonah went out of the city and he sat down east of the city and he made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade waiting to see what would happen to the city of Nineveh. Verse 6, And then the Lord appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give him shade over his head and to save him from his discomfort. And so Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm to attack the bush so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. Now this is where I would say Jonah has his real encounter with God. Of course, up to this point, he has heard from God. God's given him instructions to go and preach to the Ninevites. God's even had a kind of back-and-forth exchange with Jonah about Jonah's sulking and his pettiness, his desire to die because his prophecy didn't come true. But here, in these last few verses, verses 6 through 8, is where we see, I think, the real meaningful encounter with Jonah happening. What happens, of course, is God decides to teach Jonah an object lesson. Jonah's so angry and so upset that God causes a bush to grow up to provide him miraculously overnight with shade from the hot sun. But then the next night, God causes a worm to eat that bush so that it withers and dies. And so Jonah loses his shade and he wants to die all over again. Verse 9 is where we see God coming to Jonah with the lesson from this particular object. Verse 9, but God says to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And Jonah said, yes, angry enough to die. And then the Lord said, you are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which did not grow. It came into being in a night and it perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, 
that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also many animals. I want to pause there and just point out a couple of things that I really noticed from this passage that I think are really helpful for us as a church as we navigate these crazy times and as we enter into this time of discerning our future together. The first is this, kind of reaching back to our previous teaching series, one of the things we see in this passage is that in addition to all the other ways that we often encounter God, sometimes we encounter God like Jonah in the circumstances of our lives. Sometimes little things happen. Uh, Sometimes little uh, events rise up in our lives. Sometimes chance encounters. Sometimes little crazy coincidences or circumstances that we can't possibly explain. And God uses those circumstances to ignite our imagination and reveal something to us about us that is incredibly powerful. Many, many years ago, I had a job. It's one of my favorite jobs of all time. I was a greenskeeper on a golf course for the city of Park City in Park City, Utah. I spent three summers there as a greenskeeper when I was in my 20s. And I loved that job because I could go out there every day. My day started at 6 a.m. and it ended at 2 p.m. So it felt like by the time the day was over, I still had half the day left. And every day, all day, I got to work outside. Well, one summer, I think it was my second summer at the golf course, I showed up early in the season, beginning of the summer, and my supervisor there at the golf course took me over to one corner of the shed and he pointed a a chainsaw out to me and he said, Jason, this summer, your job is to prune all the trees on the golf course with this chainsaw. And that was my job all summer long. I spent the entire summer moving across every single day, 18 holes, and just pruning every single pine tree, and aspen tree on that golf course. It was an amazing job. And early on, at the beginning, as I was pruning these trees every single day, I started to gain this realization that through this task of pruning trees that God was speaking to me. And what God was speaking to me was essentially this. Just like you're pruning these trees, so I am pruning you. And all summer long, as I used that chainsaw and I cut dead branches off the bottom of these giant trees on that golf course, God was revealing to me all the things in my life that God was pruning from my heart. All the dead foliage, all the dead branches, all the things that were causing problems for me. It was an incredibly powerful way for God to speak to me through my circumstances. And often, Times I find that God does that for me in more my life. Maybe God works that way in your life too. The second thing that I notice about this passage as we move forward into the next teaching series, and I mentioned this last week in my sermon, is that our encounters with God, just like this encounter with Jonah, are never only for us. Every time we encounter God, there is something good in it for us, just like Jonah having this encounter with God over his self-pity and his sulking and his frustration, or just like me on the golf course, God showing me the things that God was pruning out of my heart, so those encounters with God can have incredibly powerful, beneficial effects for us as individuals, but they are always pointing us towards what's good for somebody else. And in this case, that somebody else, of course, is the Ninevites. 
Jonah has been sent on this journey, just, not just so that he can have an encounter with God. Jonah has been sent on this journey so that he can bring a life-saving message to the Ninevites, so that they could repent of having the kind of culture, the kind of society that was violent and cruel and destructive. Jonah's whole encounter with God existed not just for his own sake, but for the sake of others. And I think that's true for us as well, and especially true for our congregation, that we have been called not to worship God, not to be in relationship with Christ, just for our own sake. We are in it for the sake of others around us, for our neighbors, for the city of Oceanside, for all of North County, whether those people are in our church or not, whether those folks are Christians or not, whether they're religious or not, we are here for their good. And our encounters with God are to lead us into that place of service for them. Which leads me to my third observation about this passage. And that is this, and this is something that has always amazed me about this passage for as long as I have been a sincere Christian since my early 20s and decided to really try to read and understand how to follow after Christ. This passage has always shocked and amazed me because very simply, the Ninevites repented when they heard Jonah's call, but the Ninevites did not become Jewish. So think about this. We have this whole story in the Old Testament of a, of a whole group of people, a whole city, 120,000 people, plus, as God says at the end of that passage we read today, they're animals, because apparently God cares about animals too. We have this entire city full of people and animals that God cares about. He sends Jonah to go to them, and his message to them is to repent, and they do repent, but they are not Jewish, and nor do they become Jewish. Now, that is an incredible reality for me as I read this passage, because being raised in a fairly traditional, fairly conservative-leaning evangelical church, I was taught to believe that everything that we do that is of service to God essentially leads to other people's conversions to Christianity. But not just conversions to Christianity, of course, conversions to our particular brand of Christianity, our particular culture of Christianity, our particular list of all the things that you have to believe in order to be a real Christian. But here we have this Old Testament prophet who brings a message of repentance. The people respond to that message of repentance. God forgives them and pours God's grace out on them, and yet they do not convert. This is, of course, I think, a foreshadowing of Christ and the work that Christ does. In fact, uh, it's generally understood that the book of Jonah is a foreshadowing of the type of Christ, where Christ's coming and Christ's words and Christ's works and Christ's death all serve as a way to reconcile all of humanity to God, to bring all of humanity to an understanding of the grace and the goodness of God. And yet, there's still this reality that the Ninevites do not have to convert to the culture of Judaism in order to receive that grace. And I think what that challenges us to today as Christians is this. 
that when we have genuine encounters with God, when we organize ourselves as a church who exists for the sake of others, I think it reveals that we have to learn how to give ourselves to others without colonizing them. And here's what I mean by that. All too often, as Christians, when we serve other people, when we give ourselves to other people, when we say that we exist for their goodness, ultimately all of those efforts are so that we can convert them over to our particular brand of Christianity. But that, I think, is not what God calls us to do. I think one of the things this passage reveals to us and other passages like Galatians 5.22, which teaches us that there is no more any distinction of culture or gender. There's no longer any distinction between Jew or Greek, slave or free. There are no longer those barriers between the people of God and those that we call not the people of God. All those barriers have been erased. Therefore, we can bring ourselves to others in goodness because of our worship without having to convert them to our way of thinking. Another way to say this is that we can still have our culture, our practices, our values, our artifacts of worship, the symbols that are meaningful to us. We don't have to give those things up, but nor do we have to expect others to adopt them. We can exist together in God's grace, learning from each other without colonizing each other, without conquering each other in the name of Christ. Now, part of the process of us entering into this time as a church of reimagining our future together for the next three years is we've started a series of listening sessions. We're calling these listening sessions because we're inviting all of you as congregants of the Oceanside Sanctuary to show up to these sessions. And we just have a series of questions and these questions are meant to uncover or reveal what our deepest values are as a congregation, uh, what our most cherished practices are. In other words, what are those things at the heart of us as a church that make us who we really are? And so I really want to invite you to attend these listening sessions. There are five total, and we already had one this week. And today I want to share with you a quote that came out of that first listening session. It was by actually a brand new congregant at the Oceanside Sanctuary, somebody who's only been coming for a couple of weeks. But when we asked the question, what are the most urgent needs facing the church, or what are the most urgent needs facing the church in North San Diego County, here was one of the answers that we received from one of the attendees at that first listening session. Here's what they said. There is a quiet exodus from the church that we have become aware of. People of color are leaving predominantly white spaces and many are not going back to church at all. They're beat up and disillusioned by what they've experienced and what they've seen where only their labor is desired, but not their voices. I suspect God is raising up churches where they can be healed. Now, that quote, that little bit of feedback that we received in that first listening session really overwhelmed me because it's a powerful insight into partly what I'm talking about here today. 
There are all kinds of people in our culture in the United States because we are a pluralistic society. There are all kinds of people that represent different cultures and different perspectives and different backgrounds and different ideologies and different beliefs and different socioeconomic backgrounds. And, and of course, yes, different skin tones, different races, dif different ethnicities, different religions or no religion at all. One of the hard things about our culture is learning how to relate to each other across all of those divides. I think God's challenge to Jonah gives us a really helpful way of thinking through how we can bring what we have to offer to those relationships. Whatever goodness God has given us, whatever words of healing God has given us, we can bring those to those relationships without expecting those folks that we are serving to become just like us. That kind of colonizing move where we feel like we have to conquer everybody and make them just like us is exactly what is at the heart of many of the racialized problems we have in our society today. And I think it's possible that one of our future callings as a church is that we continue to be the kind of church that can reach out and help bridge those divides and help, help welcome a diversity of people into the great, big, wide grace of God. Today, I wanna to invite you, uh, if you are so inclined, to join us for the second listening session. It's happening today right after church at 10.15 a.m. And we'll put the Zoom link right up on the screen so that you can just type it into your computer and go. You don't have to RSVP or go to the website or anything like that. Just type in the link that we give you and then uh, we will spend an hour just asking you some questions, getting to know each other a little bit, and then taking your responses and using them as we move forward to redefine our vision, our mission, values, and priorities as a church. I want to thank you in advance for those of you who are participating in those listening sessions. It's incredibly valuable for us. And I want to ask that you would continue to pray as we move through this process that our church would use this, this time over the next couple of months to really come together around a new imagination for what we can be and do in North County. Would you all just pray with me one last time as we wrap it up today? God, we thank you again for this opportunity for us to come to your word, uh, to attend to scripture and allow it to open up our hearts and open up our minds. We ask God that you would teach us to be people who are responsive to your call in our lives and help us to work together to partner with you in whatever you're doing in our community. We thank you and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey there, we really hope you enjoyed our service today and we've got a few important announcements before you head off, so make sure you stick around. The first is if you're new, you can always head on over to oceansidesanctuary.org contact, fill out a connect card so we can get to know you more. We really wanna know who you are and what you're about. Secondly, our mission listening session has already kicked off and it's continuing. We've had some great response already. Today, right after this service, we're gonna have another one at 10.15 a.m. All you have to do is type in this link, bit.ly slash OSC listen. bit.ly slash OSC listen. That'll take you right to the listening session. This is your chance to help us 
make our mission statement, our goals, our objectives for the next three years. We all need to be a part of this important task. It's also happening again on Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. So right after church, 10.15 p.m. or Tuesday, 6.30 p.m. Next is our call and response scripture study that's coming up on Thursday, September 24th at 6.30 p.m. Many of you have really been enjoying this and we're excited to welcome new people and old people back. And lastly, we have a really important announcement about Faith Votes 2020. And I'm actually gonna let you see a little interview that Jason did with Judah Coker and my wife, Claire Elise, about the importance of this. So here that is. Today we wanna announce a new opportunity that we have decided to jump on board with called Faith Votes 2020. And so I just wanna start with this first question. Claire Elise, what is Faith Votes 2020 and why did Justice Works decide that we should jump on this campaign? Yeah, so Faith Votes 2020 is a campaign to get participating congregations to uh, pledge to vote and actually vote on Election Day. Um, we think it's important, right, because there are a lot of uh, issues, I think, uh, we're currently experiencing, whether you're Democrat, Independent, Republican, I think we can all agree that there's some really important issues coming up. And one of the things that I love about Oceanside Sanctuary is that we really work to um, not just work individually to model, to uh, follow the model that Jesus led, but to really act as a body uh, to bring about the kingdom of God here in Oceanside. And so I think um, while we might not all vote the same, while we might not all have the same ideas about how to solve some of these pressing issues, I think this is an opportunity for us to act as a body um, with love and uh, prayerfully for our communities. And so we were excited to jump on. All right, awesome, sounds great. I love how you said that at our church, that we really have this sense that we aren't just in our faith for ourselves as individuals, but we see this as a body, that we are part of a community of faith. I think um, that's really true. That's one of the reasons I've always really loved being part of this church too. So I was really glad to hear you say that. So Judah, maybe you could tell us a little bit about what it actually looks like for us to be a part of Faith Votes 2020. So we heard from Claire Elise that uh, expressing our voice in elections as people of faith on matters that are important to our faith is really, really important. So that's what this is all about. But what are the nuts and bolts? Like, how do we actually get involved with Faith Votes 2020? Right. So the first thing that um, SDOP is kind of asking participating congregations to do in order to express a commitment to this campaign is to try and get 100% voting congregation. So, you know, Basically, that just means we're asking you to show up to vote and <laughs> that we're asking you to make kind of a, an explicit commitment to that by filling out pledge cards that say, like, I'm explicitly expressing that I will be voting in this election. Um, okay, and so, so when you say 100% voting yeah. congregation, you mean like we want everybody in the church to make a commitment to vote this election? Everyone who is eligible, yes. We want to. <laughs> everybody who's eligible. Important caveat. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that important qualifier. Okay, so, so basically our ambitious goal here is to try to get everybody who see them, sees themselves as a part of this church to make an actual commitment to vote on November 3rd. 
We're not asking them to vote for anybody in particular. We're just asking them to make the commitment to vote. So how do they, how do they do that? So like I said, we have pledge cards um, that you guys can fill out. It's kind of just like an extra step for you to make that explicit commitment to us. Um, and it probably makes it a little, little bit more likely for you to follow through as well. Um, and we have a whole page now, Faith Votes 2020 at the church website, where you can find those pledge cards, fill it out, as well as just get any more information about this whole campaign. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of like really the main thing is that, mm -hmm. you know, we just want everyone to come out to vote as much as possible. Um, but in addition to that, you know, we have a commitment not only for everyone to come out and vote, but also a commitment that our voters be educated and informed. So um, that whole side of it is kind of us making sure that we're making everyone in our congregation aware of events that are happening um, with SDOP's overall coalition with their overall network. And so that includes nights like ballot information night, um, which is, should be in the church calendar, which will kind of inform, you know, you know, like, how are we filling out ballots this year since things are a little different, you know, everything's mail-in, um, you know, the timeline might be a little different. So just trying to make sure everyone knows to be registered and how to register and what the ballot means and that kind of thing. Um, but then on top of that, we also want to make sure that our Oceanside voters especially are really aware of what's happening on the local level and what particular issues are of importance to the things that we're trying to tackle as a Justice Works team and as a member of SDOP altogether. Um, and so that will include you hopefully showing up to candidate forums that we're going to be hosting where you will have the opportunity to sit in and listen to whoever's running for office in Oceanside talk about the issues that um, are really relevant to us, such as, you know, environmental issues or public safety issues or anything like that. Um, and you can hear firsthand what the candidates' positions are on all these kinds of things so that when you do show up to vote because you pledged to do so in the pledge cards that you are actually aware of what you're voting for and why and that kind of thing. And so, you know, those are the kinds of events that we just want to make sure we're making everyone aware of so that, you know, you're not only voting, but you're also aware of what you're voting for and that you're showing up to these big events like that. Okay, awesome. So number one, we're asking people to make a pledge to vote. Right. Number two, we're with the San Diego Organizing Project, we're organizing some voter information nights. Uh, and then number three, we're also looking to organize some meet the candidate forums where we can hear directly from our local candidates. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. That sounds great. And they can find out about all of those things at the church website on the church calendar. Mm -hmm. And then there's okay. also one more thing to bring up. We're also doing... Um, some phone banking through SDOP. Mm -hmm. So SDOP is hosting um, events twice a week to do phone banking where they'll, you'll come in and they'll train you on like who to contact, much to talk about. And so that's just another way, you know, it's not as much of like a huge event that's happening, you know, in the city or in San Diego in general, but more so just kind of an individual way for you to get involved if you want to just take it that extra step further. Awesome. All right. Well, this sounds really great. I really am. Um uh, impressed with how much you guys have pulled together and I know we couldn't do that without our partnership with San Diego Organizing Project. So thanks for everything that you all do in Justice Works. Well, there you go. So be sure to get involved with Faith Votes 2020. And lastly, we are a nonprofit 501c3 and we rely on the gifts and donations from people just like you. So if you believe in what we're doing, if you're excited about all the things that are coming up, then, you know, consider making a gift or donating to what we're about at OceansideSanctuary.org give. All right, everyone, have an amazing, blessed week. 
We will see you next Sunday right here on Facebook and YouTube. Peace.